I'm Jennifer Delacuadri, and this is the Raising Happy Teens podcast, where you learn how to successfully guide your teenager into adulthood without losing your sanity in the process. Let's do this. Welcome back to the podcast. As a continuation of last week's topic, which was all about how to help your high-achieving teenager manage stress, in this episode, I will be sharing nine ways to manage stress and anxiety. So this episode is for parents and teens alike. And also as a compliment to this episode, I'm going to be sharing my YouTube channel where you'll have access to short breathing exercises, meditations, and full length yoga videos. Share this episode and my YouTube channel with a teenager in your life. It's all free, my little gift to you. Now let's dive into the nine ways to manage stress and anxiety. All of these nine ways are science-backed and proven. It just takes a little bit of commitment and a little bit of knowledge. So that is what I am here to share with you. The first one, breathe deeply. I know you all know this. I know you hear this. I know you know breathing is one of the best ways to manage stress and anxiety in the moment and in preparation for stressful activities. And research really has backed that up. It shows that slowing down the breath may be one of the most effective ways of activating your parasympathetic nervous system. So one really easy breath to practice that I share with all of my clients, super simple, and it can really help you and your teenager manage stress and anxiety in any any situation. And that is what is called square breathing. I like to describe this breath as, it can be a visual breath, but it can also be done with your eyes closed. But what I advise my clients to do is to find something that is shaped like a box. And when they're breathing in and out, their eyes are following the shape of the box. So imagine in front of you a square, and when you breathe in, you're going up the side of the square, And then you hold your breath as your eyes follow the top of the square. And then you breathe out as you follow the other side of the square down. And then coming back to the center, you pause without breathing. So the way the breath sounds is done with a count. And I'm going to guide you through just a couple of rounds here so you kind of get the gist of it. So just start by breathing in through your nose. Breathe out through your mouth. And breathe in for one, two, three, four, hold, one, two, three, four, out, one, two, three, four, pause, one, two, three, four. So that's how it works. And when you're doing the counting, you can follow the square with your eyes. It gives you a nice visual. But what's really great about this breath is, and I love it so much because it's symmetrical, (laughs) it just feels symmetrical. It requires you through the counting to pause between each breath. When we're stressed out and when we're anxious, our breath becomes very shallow in our chest, more hyperventilating type of a feeling. So when you are intentionally counting and slowing down, Not only are you slowing down the inhales and exhales, but you're creating space between each breath. So give it a try. It really helps. The next thing that you can do is to practice mindfulness. 
I've said it before and I'll say it again. Mindfulness meditation is a great practice for just being the silent witness to your thoughts and emotions. The way I like to describe it is when you are sitting in meditation or when you're in a meditative state, the goal is not to turn off your brain and to not think anything because your brain's job is to think. That is what it's supposed to do. But imagine when you are sitting in meditation, when the thoughts come. So imagine a road. There's cars on the road and you are standing on the side of the road. And as the cars come through, these cars represent the thoughts. And as the observer on the side of the road, sometimes when a car or a thought comes down the road, you get into the car, like you start latching onto the thought and you start thinking about it and you're in the car for a while. Then what you do is you realize, oh, whoops, I'm in the car. I'm attached to this thought. I'm thinking this thought. Let me get back on the side of the road, get out of the car and get back on the side of the road. Then these thoughts will keep going by. Oh, look it. There's a red car. There's a deep thought. There's a light thought. There's a funny thought, but you're not latching onto it. And of course you will latch onto it. You will get connected with that thought and start thinking it. And then the moment you realize it, oops, thinking, and you just let go of that thought, let it continue by, and again, become the silent witness on the side of the car. And what's important here too, is to not be judgmental of the cars or the thoughts and thinking, that's a bad thought. Why did I think that? That's awful. No wonder I'm so stressed. And then go into that spiral of self-doubt, self-judgment, all of those things. It really does, practicing mindfulness really does let you be aware and not attached because so much of our suffering, so much of our stress and anxiety comes from that attachment, that expectation and feeling disappointed or let down or like a failure. And our stress and anxiety just rises then. But when you're able to practice intentionally, not latching onto that thought, not latching onto the outcome or any expectation, and really just allowing yourself to be in the flow of life, be in the flow for a period of time in that mindfulness moment. Once you can do that in a meditation, you can start learning how to do that in your life, in the real world. So when you're able to regulate your nervous system, when things are calm and you practice it, then you go out in the real world, there's going to be stress, but your body knows, okay, this is what I do. I know how to do this. I know how to manage my mind. I know how to pause between a thought and between reactivity. The third one is to move your body. Really moving your body in any way. It really increases your production of endorphins and the feel-good chemicals. Just moving. It doesn't have to be intense. I know my high-achieving loves... (laughs) If I'm not working out and pushing my body to its fullest and, you know, most challenging aspect, what's the point? But sometimes moving your body can just mean going for a nice gentle walk or doing a gentle yoga practice. I have lots of those on my YouTube channel, but it can also be very intense exercise. But the point is to move your body in a way that feels good. Also doing any physical activity that you enjoy, it increases these feelings of self-confidence. One of my clients is a college freshman and she was having a really hard time just adjusting to college life and finding her place. And so I encouraged her to go to the rec center 
and exercise. So this was for her body, but also it was a great place for her to meet new people and socialize and be around people. Anyway, she started running on the track. And what happened over time is she began noticing that she was able to run farther without stopping. And that felt really good to her and it made her feel proud of herself and accomplished. So it's not just endorphins in your body, it's confidence in your mind that you are learning and you are growing and you are able to see the effects of the effort that you're putting forward. So making an, an really intentional effort to move your body on a regular basis is absolutely essential. The fourth one is to learn to reframe stress. So it really can all come down to how you choose to think about stress because stress isn't really a bad thing. Your body was created to be able to handle it and experience it. It's a message. Whatever stress you're experiencing is a message to you about what's going on. So stressful situations can really be great opportunities for learning and growth and challenging themselves in healthy ways. And so there's actually been studies involving karaoke singing and public speaking and performance in say math, for example, that showed people who were able to reframe their anxiety as excitement ended up performing better than those who told themselves to just stay calm when they were stressed. I know that that will never work telling someone, Hey, just stay calm, just relax. You know, just, it's going to be fine. Just, you don't need to stress out. That's not going to help. But reframing your thoughts around the stress and seeing it as like, I'm excited really can help you feel more confident and competent. And it lowers the level of anxiety there because anxiety and excitement in your body are very similar. So if you're able to shift your mindset around it and be like, I'm feeling excited about this versus I'm scared of this, I'm stressed out about this, it can help you calm yourself down and really actually enjoy the process of whatever it is that's causing you to feel nervous or stressed. And what's interesting too about this study is that not only did the people who were performing or, you know, on the task notice a difference. The observers, the audience, and the people who were there to witness it saw it that way as well. So the mindset is a huge part of this. Number five is all about sleep, getting the right amount of sleep. It's huge on how stress impacts your body. There's actually been studies done that examined how teenagers react during the day when they didn't get enough sleep at night compared to how adults react and behave. And what they found is that sleep deprived teens found stressful situations much more threatening than the adults did. So this lack of sleep has an even greater impact on the teenage nervous system, which is why just having a good sleep schedule and good sleep hygiene is so important. It's really easy to overlook that, especially if you've got a busy schedule or a busy life, it's easy to overlook it and think, you know, I don't have time for that, or I'll sleep on the weekend and put it off. But the truth is, if you're not giving your body adequate rest, you're not giving your body the tools that it needs to be able to face the day, to face the challenges ahead, or even anything that's ahead. And when you're facing the day, feeling this level of 
like less resilient, feeling drained because you didn't have enough sleep, it's going to impact your relationships, your performance, your, your grades, all of those things, they really add up. And that's also going to hit your confidence. It's kind of like a vicious cycle. Sleep is a really simple way to negate the impact of stress. Number nine, or sorry, number six, <laughs> getting ahead of myself, is to try a relaxation exercise. So specific techniques for managing stress. There's something called a progressive relaxation exercise, and it's really great for managing stress. I know that there are um, meditation apps that can take you through these types of things. But basically what you do is you lie down on some comfortable surface, and then you start by tensing the muscles in your toes, and then you tense them for about five seconds, and then you relax them. And then next, you would tense your foot, and you hold that for about five seconds, and then you relax for 15, 30 seconds. And then you continue to work your way upward, tensing each area of the body for just a few seconds, and then relaxing until eventually at the end, what you do is you tense your entire body, squeezing your face, everything squeezed, and then relax it all. So this actually helps move the tension and move the stress through your body. It's like, I see you, I feel you, I'm recognizing you, I'm letting you tense, and I'm also letting you release. And I'm letting that stress release in my body. It's a great exercise to do right before bed, right when you're getting ready to drift off into sleep to kind of get those wiggles and all of that out of your body. There's actually something called yoga nidra, fantastic for this. This isn't necessarily tensing your body, but it's more bringing awareness to different areas of your body. So it kind of gives your mind something to do while your body's really relaxing. Highly re recommend giving that a try, yoga nidra. Number seven is to create a support network. Having social relationships, good ones, can really improve your mental and your physical health. The more support you have, the more resilient you are against stress. Having this really a network that you can depend on, whether it's family, friends, guidance, guidance counselors, mentors. I know a lot of my clients, just knowing that they have a coaching call with me helps them ease their stress level because they can rely, rely on the fact that they have somebody who is really just dedicated to listening to them and helping them sort through their challenges. Having that network in place is a really great way to manage stress. But where do you start, right? Like if you don't have a good friend circle, maybe you can lean on a family member. If you don't feel close with family and you don't have friends, find somebody who's not involved in family or friends, like a counselor or a coach to talk to about things so that you're not so isolated and alone in what you're doing. In fact, having somebody who's really not attached to or connected to whatever it is you're going through can help you so much because I know being a friend myself, when a friend shares, when you friend share your problem with a friend, they're going to get into the problem with you, right? Like how dare they do that? Or, you know, what a jerk or yeah, that's really stressful. And it kind of like can feed into that level of stress, not intentionally. It's just the nature of friendships. 
But when you can have somebody who isn't attached, who can really be the um, calm presence, helping you see things objectively, or even just a spaced event where nobody is going to interrupt or try to fix it, it's huge. So having a support network is essential. Number eight is control the controllables. Stress and anxiety come so often from a fear of the unknown or a lack of control or a sense of, of no control over the situation. And sometimes what can really be helpful is to get the facts when making plans to help counteract that stress. Or if there's a big project looming, to create a schedule that will keep you on track. Or if you're feeling like you don't really know enough about a situation, a new situation, doing some research and preparing, that can really help manage stress and anxiety over those types of things. I do an activity with my clients. It's called the circle of control. And inside the circle, they list all of the things that they do have control over. And then on the outside of the circle, they list the things that are out of their control. And what happens often is the stress they're experiencing comes from the things they have no control over, like how a teacher will grade their assignment or how a friend will respond to them. And what I do is I give them permission to just let those things go and instead focus on the things that are within their control, their thoughts, their actions, even little things like what music they choose to listen to or what they're going to eat for breakfast. Just redirecting their thoughts to those things can help them manage their level of stress. And number nine is to build optimism. People who are more optimistic are just less stressed. These studies, there are so many have been done that just show that optimistic people have a better biological response to stress. So in other words, they have more stable levels of stress hormone, cortisol, than people who describe themselves as pessimists. I don't really know how many people would describe themselves as a pessimist. (laughs) I don't know if those people would maybe admit it, but if you're a pessimist, know (laughs) that it could be adding, it is adding to your level of stress. So one way to become more optimistic is paying attention to the positive things instead of the negative ones, or at least giving them equal attention. So for any negative thing that you are noticing or or focusing on, find a positive thing to counteract it, right? It doesn't have to be only positive all the time, positive vibes. No, that's not realistic, right? Life isn't 100% positive. But when your direction and all of your attention is going toward the negative things, Of course, it's going to impact your level of stress. So instead of focusing on the things that are going wrong, just work on building positivity. Things like writing in a gratitude journal. Or you can do this as a family too. For example, if you're sitting at the dinner table, go around and everybody shares one or two things that went well that day. One thing that I did with my family when they were younger, when my kids were younger, was thumbs. Thumbs up, thumbs down, thumbs sideways for your day. You can do something similar. Maybe they don't want to talk about it, but at least it gives them a chance to let it out and make it a little bit balanced. What was what was great for you today? What was challenging for you today? And let them share both. Share both. Do it as a family and focus in on all of those things together. And 
Like I mentioned before, writing in a gratitude journal, I know I've mentioned this on the podcast before, but it bears repeating. This doesn't have to be a 30-minute sit down and I'm going to write all the great things that are happening in my life. It can be as simple as before you fall asleep, what went well today? What are three things that I'm happy about? What am, what am I grateful for for this specific day? Just think about it before you fall asleep. And it really does set the tone for your sleep. Now, here's your homework. <laughs> oh no, you didn't tell me there was homework. <laughs> I want you to choose one thing from this list to focus on. Just one thing. Choose the thing that feels easy and doable. Then commit to integrating this into your life. Whether it is committing to moving your body or starting a gratitude journal or practicing a breathing technique or a relaxation exercise, heading to my YouTube channel, trying some yoga, integrating it into your schedule, whatever it is, stick to it for at least a month and see how it impacts your level of stress. And for extra credit, tell someone else what you're doing. Let that person be your accountability partner or better yet, have them join you. If the teenager in your life could use some support managing stress and anxiety, I can help. If you'd like to learn more about my one-on-one coaching program and see if it's a good fit for your family, schedule a complimentary consultation with me. On our call, I'll have you share a little bit about your teenager, and then I'll tell you more about my coaching process, and together we can decide if coaching is the right next step for you. Click the link in the show notes to schedule your free consultation today. I look forward to hearing from you. Thanks for tuning in, and I'll see you next time. If you liked this episode, I want to invite you to follow me on Instagram at jennifer.delacuadri, where you'll find more tips, inspiration, and connection to help you navigate this unique and sometimes challenging season of parenthood. I'll see you there.